This episode of Moon Tower Business is brought to you by your local State Farm agent, Alejandra de la Torre. Alejandra's team has amazing customer service, knowledgeable staff, and super competitive pricing. They also have a very convenient location in Round Rock, located at 2200 North A.W. Grimes Boulevard, Suite 500. Alejandra's team is bilingual, and they have over 52 years of combined experience in the insurance industry. Alejandra's team is very friendly and helpful, and they always go the extra mile. They even have after-hours emergency availability. So please call Alejandra's State Farm team for all of your insurance needs, whether it's auto, home, life, or business. Their telephone number is 512-244-3311, or you can see their website at www.alexdelatorre.net. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Moon Tower Business Podcast. This is your host, Joseph O'Bell, and today I'm speaking with Kevin Hancock, who is the author of 48 Whispers from Pine Ridge and the Northern Plains. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Joseph, hello. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Thank you for being here. I'd love to get into the book in just a second um, that I've read. I really enjoyed uh, but maybe you could just start off by introducing yourself to listeners and uh, just talk a little bit about the stuff you've, you've worked on in your career. Sure. Uh, my name is Kevin Hancock, and I'm from the state of Maine, and I'm the CEO of our family business, Hancock Lumber Company, which is actually one of the oldest companies in America. It dates back to the 1840s. And I'm part of the sixth generation of my family to uh, work there. Anyway, two kind of key events that that got me to the book that you referenced in 2012 at the peak of the housing and mortgage market collapse. I acquired a bit of a rare neurological voice disorder that made speaking at the time particularly difficult. And I'm sure you can hear it's a bit unique just by listening to me uh, today. And then a couple years later, kind of looking to regather my voice on a spiritual level, I began traveling out to the uh, Northern Plains and particularly Pine Ridge Indian Reservation, where I, among other things, encountered this entire community that felt as if a piece of their voice had been marginalized or taken from them. All of that really got me onto the topic of uh, using leadership to help others find their true voice, to know it, to live it, to love it, and own it. So that's a long story made short, Joseph. Awesome. Excellent. Um, well, uh, before we get into the book again, I just, uh, maybe we could just chat a little bit about your, uh, uh, your, your position there at Hancock Lumber, your CEO. Um, can you just maybe talk a little bit, uh, about your experience being uh, an executive for, for a lumber company? Sure. Yeah. Our, uh, it's really fun and rewarding. First of all, it's also very, uh, challenging. I know you 
focus on entrepreneurship and uh, within a family business, I've really come to learn that every generation has to be entrepreneurial because the world's always changing. But anyway, our company is uh, integrated. So we own timberland and we grow trees and then we have sawmills and we manufacture lumber that we ship all over the United States and the world. And then we've got in Maine and New Hampshire, 12 contractor focused lumber yards that provide a full line of building materials. And we have 600 people that work at the company and certainly uh, navigating our way first through COVID and then through all the crazy supply chain issues and spikes in pricing and shortages in products has been a, a bit of an unprecedented challenge. Something There's always something new and different no matter how long you've been in business and you say, I've seen it all. You actually still haven't seen it all because there's always something new coming. Gotcha. Yeah. And I mean, uh, um, the, the lumber industry seems to be a very interesting, uh, you know, industry. And, and I've seen things on TV. I don't have any personal experience on, on um, you know, how, how trees are, uh, how lumber is made and stuff like that and how, how trees are, are uh, harvested. Uh, but it looks like a dangerous industry. It looks like uh, there's a lot of ins and outs of it. And you touched a little bit about, uh, about supply chain issues and things related to COVID. Uh, what do you what are you seeing really are, are like the big factors that are driving the the uh, the price up for for lumber right now and construction and what's causing the the bottleneck in supply chain? Yeah, I really trace it all back to COVID and how it has just disrupted so many people's lives in so many different ways. I remember when. Uh, COVID hit uh, back in March of the prior year, uh, we and many other manufacturers ended up having to slow down our production because a lot of our customers got uh, suddenly put on hold. They didn't know if they could work or if people would want to work, and uh, you could only make so much lumber without shipping it. So when our customers slow down, we slow down. But then, like a, a great fake in basketball or a move in for a wide receiver in football, turning to the sideline and then going up, then the economy actually took off. Demand for building materials went up. So at the same time that supply uh, was constrained, demand took off and that created that crazy spike in pricing which has since rectified quite a bit but uh, supply chains are still very tight and they're very sensitive you know the whole country's the whole world really economically has adopted this kind of just in time lean manufacturing inventory model. And it's got a lot of benefits, as you know, Joseph, but it's got one big disadvantage. It's super sensitive. And if that flow gets disrupted, there's no 
backup supply to come to the rescue. And that's really, I think, what um, the whole planet's dealing with economically right now. Gotcha. Do you think, I mean, we're going to see this for a while. Do you think, you think we're going to, it's going to ease up uh, over the next couple of years? I do think it'll ease up, but I also think we've, we all come to see that uh, COVID is very unpredictable. When you think it's over, it isn't. And I think we're going to need an extended period of settling back in to allow everybody to get back into their routines. There are so many components, of course, of people being able um, to work, and the economy needs everybody to work to operate at um, peak potential. And it's still just a bit too delicate. But I I think it'll definitely, I would guess, a year from now, it'll be more normal than it has felt so far this year. Gotcha. Um, I'd like to switch gears now to to your book. Um, I have a copy of it. I've read the whole thing. I really enjoyed it. Um, it was interesting. I, I had never read a book like that. That's uh, you know, it has a full story in it, and then it has pictures uh, that you took um, at the reservation. Um, and so it was a, an inspiring book. It it was. Uh, I think I told you earlier. It was very relaxing to read, and it makes you really reflect on life. And I've had conversations with with uh, friends and, and my wife about what I've read in this book. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was a, a, a really interesting journey you took uh, going to Pine Ridge. Um, and I guess, can you just talk about the inspiration by behind writing this book and, and, and sharing these pictures uh, with people a, uh, after your experience there? Sure. There, there are a lot of layers to it, as I'm sure you felt when you um, went through the book but essentially you know i was trying to recover at the time from a a wound a wound to my voice which was a bit uh trauma based and i was searching to regain my balance and as an active ceo i felt a little awkward at first joseph leaving my company leaving my job and heading out alone uh, to this remote Indian reservation, and then really the surrounding plains, wilderness beyond it. But what I drew from that was the power of really reconnecting with self in a bigger, better, 24-7, go, go, go world. Our roles can be all-consuming, and I had lost track a bit of my own identity separate from my roles and going to this community where nobody knew me, which had a really deep indigenous spirituality and where the power of planes, if you've ever been there, are just so dramatic that all of that really uh, helped recenter me. And it was it was beautiful to me, but also really thought-provoking, and all these kind of, um, this collection of ideas that I ended up writing about, really about self-actualization, coming into our own voice, the future of humanity, reconnecting with nature, uh, all of that came through me while I was there, and then I tried to redeposit as much of it as I could in this book, 48 Whispers, so that I 
so that it could be shared. Gotcha. And I think uh, what resonated with me is just, um, you know, you talking about, you know, a lot of people have a very busy life uh, in their careers and things are just moving so fast and you're always focused on what's coming up next. What do I got to do tomorrow? What do I got to do next week? Uh, and you, it's hard to kind of stop and focus on what's going on right now and living in the present. You know, when I've been able to take little getaways here and there um, and spend time in nature and when, when you just see things slow down and you're living in the present, you're actually seeing what's your surroundings and, and being happy with, with the, the present moment is it's so big. It's so different. You know what I mean? And uh, I thought that was just that really stood out to me in your book. Yeah. Uh, thank you. And I'm glad that it spoke to you that way. And, and for me, in part, coming from a CEO corporate background, the whole experience a little bit uh, has been about putting work back in its place where, yeah, it's important and we're enthusiastic about it and we're competitive and we want to do well, but it, I, it shouldn't be all-consuming. It just shouldn't work. should be a generative, additive component of a broader, meaningful life. And I hadn't seen a lot of CEOs advocating for that. Having experienced a bit of it myself, I really wanted everybody within our company uh, to have the same types of opportunities in terms of work-life balance um, and then to start to spread that message. Because here's what happened to me in a nutshell. The more I took time to serve myself, like spending time on the Northern Plains, the better I actually got at my work. So taking that time to get away from me was not detracting from my roles. It was strengthening my ability to contribute to my roles. And one of the key messages I really tried to send in the book is that, that, that done correctly, being selfish is selfless. Because when we listen to that inner voice and do those things that make us light up, that's when we give the most back to the world around us as well. I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, being able to do that and just kind of uh, uh, detaching yourself from, from the hustle and bustle of everyday life is, is the equivalent of just, you know, like pressing restart, refreshing your batteries and just coming in with a clear mind uh, back to when you go to work. And uh, I can see how that makes you uh, more productive, more, uh, you know, prosperous. Yeah. And, you know, one of the big things I think is missing from our lives today, as simple as that sounds, uh, is the time to stop, breathe, sit still and think. And that's also a real theme in this book is heightened sense of awareness as individuals and then collectively as humanity to just pause and think a bit about where we're headed on a personal level and a collective level. And this book, as you know, uh, contemplates such things. I, I, I contemplated a bunch of thoughts around 
that subject individually and then collectively for humanity as a whole. Because I think at the end of the day, what's the outcome, Joseph, or the action item from the book? I would say it is, let's be intentional about our lives. Let's really get centered and balanced and healthy from within and hear that voice that resonates in the heart and let's live with intention. It's so easy to just get robotic in this world we're in today. And and the book's about really breaking out of that, past it, through it, beyond it. That's a great message. Um, and I love it. And Maybe you can kind of tell listeners a little bit more about your experience uh, spending time uh, in the Pine Ridge Reservation, I believe, as the Sioux Indians. And, and yes. kind of how, how you, uh, you know, just the, the, the different, different experiences you had there and what you got to see and, and how, the, how you felt about it. Yeah. So I first traveled there in the fall of 2012, and I've since been there over two dozen times. I was actually just there last week on a buffalo hunt of all things joseph which was an amazing experience but anyway the pine ridge indian reservation is the biggest uh, most remote statistically poorest and historically probably uh, the most famous of all soup reservations on the northern plains it sits in the southwest corner of South Dakota, right on the Nebraska panhandle on top of it. And it's home to the Oklahoma Sioux tribe. And this community is mesmerizing to me because on the one hand, history of how they got there uh, is so not okay, so sad and disturbing and kind of mind-numbing. You know, I used to think that um, genocide historically was only something that ever happened somewhere else, but it happened here in this country, and I don't know that we fully uh, reconciled that. And today, this community uh, is economically very poor uh, as a kind of direct result of its history, and yet in some ways hard to describe. It's perhaps the happiest community I've ever been to. These people have just this amazing uh, sense of spirit and resiliency and, uh, and that finally their connectivity to the earth and their understanding of the rhythm with which nature flows these were all just themes that were irresistible to me. So I kept going back and, and not with any specific mission to fix, save, or change anything there. It was more simply this. Um, I see you. I know you're here. And, and you're we're fellow humans. There's a shared humanity here. And I believe you're important. And people ask me what I do when I'm there. And I used to struggle with the answer. But now I tell the truth, Joseph, I don't do anything when I'm there. I just literally hang out with the people who live there. And I think it's because I haven't been 
on a mission other than connectivity that the community there um, has accepted me so well. I've I've been given two Lakota names, been made part of two Lakota families that have dozens of friends there. Um, I've just been given so much more, I feel, than I've given in return. But sorry, not to drag this on. I think that um, what's really cool about that for the, for them is they're used to people going there to give things to them. And for them to realize that they've got so much to give to the world around them, which is totally true, but just helping them realize it and affirm it, that's been very rewarding for me. That's great. And uh, I mean, obviously, you've had an, an amazing experience there and, and um, you got to meet some great people and, and become friends with uh, folks uh, at Pine Ridge. Uh, how was it when you first got there? I guess the first time you showed up, was it was it a challenge to kind of uh, to meet people and to and to connect or was it just very inviting from the beginning? Yeah, no, I, I was uh, I was nervous the first time I went, you know, I felt out of place and I felt a bit awkward and I, um, but what essentially happened is I had made a first friend who agreed to host me and she uh, and I became friends, came to know and trust each other. And then she kept introducing me to more people and that just kept uh, snowballing all it, all it really took uh, to break down those perceived barriers was uh, the gift of time and I think interestingly enough the lack of an agenda I had no expectation of what I needed to get out of it other than being present excellent excellent and another uh Another thing I really uh, enjoyed in your book reading about is is how you explained you uh, you had this medical issue and you didn't view it as a, a downfall. You viewed it more as a blessing uh, that it changed your life for the better. Um, and sometimes it's hard for people that are faced with something like that to to look at it that way. But you looked at it a completely different lens and, and you just you feel like it made your life better. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yes. And. And it's a big part of why I'm so thankful for Pine Ridge and the people there. It was where I healed. I, it, my voice a decade ago, uh, we could not have done this interview. Today, you can tell my voice is funky or unique, but people can hear everything I'm saying, and I can speak freely without any pain or problem and and i got that back uh, at pine ridge by spending time there and in time i did become to see my voice condition as a blessing because it knocked me out of the robotic uh trance like routine i was in of just being a uh every day common 
CEO running a company the same way everyone had run companies for <laughs> generations in this country. And, and it got me reconnected with my own identity, separate from my role, which really helped me lose a good part of my ego in my role, and then allowed me to see my role differently, which was really this, back at work with our 600-person employee team, I could use the partial loss of my own voice to disperse power, share leadership, and give everyone else a bigger voice. And that gave me a brand new mission around work and leadership that uh, really inspired me. And having been on that path for a decade now, has really transformed our company in terms of the experience that people who work there have, most importantly, and then secondarily, uh, the way the company performs. So as I gave up control, if you will, um, the company itself and the people that work there took off. And all of that really was a gift uh, in hindsight that came from the restrictions in my speaking voice. That's a great outlook in life. And uh, I think this, this book is, uh, is amazing. I think a lot of people enjoy it. What would you say is your target audience for this book? So it's so tricky. It's such a non-traditional book. Like you said, you probably hadn't seen one quite like it with part of its photojournalism, really trying to reconnect with nature and really trying to tell the Pine Ridge story with pictures. Then the other part are these meditations. And honestly, I feel the book is meant for humans. Uh, my, uh, my editor and publisher, they always try to put things in a box. But, uh, but w when they say, no, who's the book for, Kevin? I'd say, well, it's for humans. <laughs> and that's honestly how I feel. And I have a sense you might feel the same way. That's really the spirit within which the book was written. I agree. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously it resonated with me, but I think that, you know, people from all different types of walks of life will, would connect and find good messages from your book. Um, so the book has great pictures. Uh, I really enjoyed looking at the pictures. Uh, are you, is this something you're, you picked up before? Are you into photography uh, or is it just something you just did for the book or how did, how did that work out? Yeah, it was my times on the planes were so magical and mesmerizing to me that I had a camera and had a notebook and I couldn't stop taking pictures and couldn't stop writing. I was just so enamored with where I was. Now, um, this drives my mom a little bit crazy. My mom's kind of the great photographer in the family. She's got a giant expensive camera and all the stuff she has to lug around. My camera fits in my back pocket. I never studied photography. <laughs> but the more I started taking pictures, the more I learned what worked and what time of day. And, and it was really learning to photograph nature from 
nature. And it was really learning the art of photography in a, in a very um, just authentic way. And originally I was taking the pictures for me, but the more I kept showing them to people, they were like, wow, these are pretty dramatic. These ought to be uh, shared. But again, that's the spirit of the book, too. I wasn't a professional trained writer. I was not a professional trained photographer. But when we, any of us, connect with that which releases spirit within us, magic comes out. And I really wanted this book to be a bit of a, um, every per, again, every human's uh, photojournalism book, every human's um, book of, of thinking and imagining and creating. And I really loved that it wasn't um, fitting a traditional model or stereotype of what a book should look like i i didn't want that i wanted it to be something different love it love it um you've also written other books you've uh, written a couple other books can you just uh, touch on those a little bit yes i've I've done three and they were all connected to this 10-year journey of my voice disorder pine ridge northern plains and then rethinking leadership back home at work so my first book uh, which came out in 2015, is titled Not for Sale, Find Center in the Land of Crazy Horse. And that book chronicled my first six trips to Pine Ridge. The second book I put out is titled The Seventh Power, One CEO's Journey into the Business of Shared Leadership. And that book really picks up on some things we've talked about today, but that focuses on uh, flipping the script on the traditional leadership model of power to the center and building a new model, which is power to the individual. And then my most recent book, which we're chatting about today, is 48 Whispers. So it's uh, all three of them, and all three of them are uh, right on Amazon or anywhere books are sold. Excellent. Um... One thing I liked about the one suggestion you had in your book uh, is that uh, folks read through it one time uh, to to get the whole understanding and then put it somewhere cozy in your house where you can go to relax when uh, somewhere like a sofa or something. And then, you know, read through it slowly and, and listen to the different messages and, and let them resonate with you. And I've read it through once and I, I plan to go and do, do what you suggested because um, it was relaxing, like I said, reading through it once, but I think uh, letting it kind of uh, simmer and reading it slowly is is the way to go as well. Oh, that makes me happy, and I can't help but think, Joseph, that the the big joy of the book for me is way time and time again, it connects me to people who I never would have met otherwise, like uh, yourself here today. Excellent. Thank you, sir. Um, I guess where can, uh, where can listeners, uh, learn more about you and, uh, learn more about your book and where can folks, uh, purchase your book? Yes. Thank you. So I've got a website dedicated, uh, to the ideas 
we discussed today, and that site is uh, www.thebusinessofsharedleadership.com. On that site, you can find all kinds of resources, writing, um, the books themselves, and you can uh, communicate with me directly, which, uh, and I love to uh, listen, listen to people who've uh, taken a look at my books and have thoughts to share in return. Great. Um, well, uh, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story and sharing a little bit about your book. Um, listeners, I highly recommend that you uh, pick up 48 Whispers. Um, uh, Kevin, I'll put the, your website and uh, the Amazon link in the show notes so uh, folks can know where to go. And uh, again, thank you so much. And hopefully we can have you again on the podcast sometime. Thank you, Joseph. I loved it. Be well. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by our affiliate, Gemini. Gemini is a well-respected cryptocurrency exchange started by Cameron and Tyler Winklevoss. If you're interested in purchasing Bitcoin, Ethereum, or other altcoins, please check out their website at gemini.sjv.io backslash moon tower to learn all about it thank you